You can turn over in your Bibles to Second Samuel, chapter two. Second Samuel, chapter two. There was a young and foolish pilot who wanted to sound cool on the aviation frequencies. It was his first time approaching the field during the nighttime. He'd always done day day runs before. And instead of making the official request to the tower, he said, Guess who? Well, the tower simply switched off the landing lights and replied, Guess where? Awful lot can be done with just the throw of a switch, can it? You're going to be landing a plane, you want those landing lights on. You want to be able to see where it is that you're going, especially at nighttime. That makes it tough. We're talking today in our Hope series on the switch of faith. That sometimes we may not have realized it, but we may make the, the switch in our faith and it can shut some things off. And we want to take a look at someone today. We already looked at one part of his story uh, a couple weeks ago. But we're going to take a look at this part where he could have switched his faith. He could have switched it from one part to another. You know, railroad, they have those switches. And you throw the switch and the train goes this way. Throw the switch and the train goes this way. Well, if you throw the wrong switch, you've got too many trains on the track. You know how many trains are on the track? There's too many? More than one. You don't want them running into each other. Of course, they're all going the same direction. I guess that's okay, and they have those things figured out. But if they're going on the same track in the same direction or different directions, that's not a good thing to have happen. We want to make sure that we do not switch our faith from the thing that we've hoped for. The Word of God says is our founding scripture in this. Let us hold fast the confession of our without. That's right. Because why? He who promised is faithful. We serve a faithful God. But hope, as we've told you over and over again, hope is always future. Hope is never present. Hope is never past. Hope, Bible way, is always future. But we know that faith not only works for future, faith also works in the past and in the present. What we're studying mostly in this series is faith in its relationship to hope in the future. Of course, our main focus is on hope. We have to make sure we stay with the God kind of hope. Sometimes we switch from the God kind of certain hope to a wishful hope. Boy, I sure hope that happens. So that's not the God kind of hope. The God kind of hope knows. We all don't sit around here showing up at church on Sunday, showing up at church on Wednesday, studying the Word of God, holding to the Word of God, not giving in temptation, saying afterwards, Boy, I hope I get to heaven. Boy, I hope the Lord has forgiven me. No, we know it because we know from His Word. And we know that He who promised is faithful. He's going to do it. So if God says, if you do this, I'll forgive, then we know that if we did it, we, He's forgiven us. If He says, I've gone to repair a place in heaven for you, then we know He's gone to repair a place in heaven for us. If He says that with all the good things you have in this life, you also come with tribulations, then the tribulations aren't bad, are they? He said they're going to come. If, we, if He tells us that the world will hate us because of His Word, then it should come no surprise to us that the world does hate us because of His Word. The world hates the name of Jesus. The world hates the things that are done through the name of Jesus. That's okay. If you're going to be persecuted for it, just know. That's all right. It's all right. No, we get persecution from the world. How many of y'all know we get persecution from the world? We all know that. You get persecution from the church too. Because saints aren't perfect. 
We've got to make sure we hold on to the hope that we have for where we're going. God, what have you said? All right, that's where we're going. That's what we do. Because it's sometimes real easy just to switch our faith. And once we switch the faith, once we switch our faith from what God has said to what God has promised, and we switch it over to something different, now we've got problems. But the thing is, it doesn't happen right away. It happens a little bit later. It happens down the road. We don't always tie it to the same thing. But that's where your problem came in. You switched your faith from the thing that God said, hope for this. This is your hope. This is where we're taking you. This is what you're going to do. This is what you can do. And we got our eyes focused on something different. And when we got our eyes focused on something different, we lost the sight of where God was taking us, what God was doing. Last couple of weeks, if we looked at this section of our hope series, last week we looked at Daniel. We saw how Daniel knew that he had the gift to interpret dreams. And when a problem was, was created, where there was a dream that was given, but he wasn't, the king wasn't going to tell it, but he wanted the interpretation, Daniel said, I'll get it. Go ahead and tell the king, you sit a time, you appoint a time, and I will show up. And I'll have the interpretation of your dream. And sure enough, he did, didn't he? He declared it ahead of time. He says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have this thing. And it came. But he knew that gifts what he had. And he knew the hope that he could have for the future. He knew that he could speak about that hope. I will have the dream and its interpretation. He knew he could have that. David, we looked at his life. We saw that his family didn't respect him. We saw he's out there taking care of the sheep. And all the other sons, all the other uh, boys are, are brought up to, be seen, to meet the prophet of God. But David's out there with the sheep. And he go through son one, son two, son three, son four, son five, son six, son seven. And even in the first one, Samuel said, surely the Lord's anointing is with him. And God says, don't you judge by the outside. Don't you do that. I look on the inside. And he rejected all seven of them. And finally Samuel says, do you have any more sons? Did you forget one? Imagine saying that to a dad. Did you bring them all out here? Is there, is there one missing? <laughs> Take another look. Well, yeah, there's, there's one more. He's out there in the sheep. And he calls them on up and the Lord said, that's him. Anoint him. So they anointed him. And you would think that instantly that would mean that his family would respect him. That his family would say, oh, wow, David, we misjudged you all this time. And of course they didn't. They put him right back out there with the sheep. All right, you go back out there and take care of the sheep. And David would come in and he would tell them stories. I killed a lion. I killed a bear. And they would all say, yeah, right. Of course you did. They didn't believe him. And when he got there in front, he said, I'm going to kill the Goliath. His brother reacts to him in the same way he did when he told the other stories. David, you got to quit this. This is a real giant. This is not a fake lion. This is not some lion you found in the field dead and came over here and told us you killed it. This is a real one. Now get out of here and let the men take care of this thing. But uh, David stayed with it. He talked in such hope of the end result of this giant that it got the king's attention. And the king called him into the room. And he says, what's this you're talking about? And he says, I can kill that giant. He says, I was in the field and a lion and a bear, both of them came up to me and wanted to take our sheep. And by the hand of God, I overpowered them. And they're dead. So when David saw the lion, he saw a dead lion. He hoped for a dead lion, didn't he? wasn't wishing. He had that certainty. This lion is dead. It was future. But eventually it became true. Saw a bear. Did the same thing. And in the same way he looked at the giant and he saw a dead giant. You have disgraced 
the armies of the living God. You have dishonored them. You have called out against the name of the living God. Because of that, you are dead. I'm just going in to clean up the mess. He even proclaimed ahead of time, I'm going to cut off your head, but there is no sword in his hand. He used Goliath's own sword to cut off Goliath's head. And he, he won that. And you would think, of course, after all that, come on the, the giant, now he'd probably have some respect. And uh, still, he didn't get a whole lot of respect in the kingdom. For a little while, we saw that he surged up and people were enjoying him. People were liking him. But then pretty soon, he became a fugitive. He was on the run from Saul. But he still had the promise of being what? A king. He was anointed to be king over Israel. But he's still not the king over Israel. And all these things have been going on. And Saul's over there. He was given two opportunities to kill Saul. And even his own helpers. He said, come on, you let me run him through. I'll take this spear. I won't need a second time. We'll take care of him the first time. He'll be dead. He won't even get a chance to utter a word. No one will know. I'll take care of it for you. David says, no, no, no. We're not here to do that. Do that. That's the Lord's anointed. And the Lord's ready. He'll take him out. David didn't make a way for that sort of thing. Well, in this first part, we see that David had faith in God. When David was in the sheep fields, when David was on the battlefield, he had faith in God. He believed that God was going to deliver him. He believed that there was no enemy that would, that would conquer him. When David faced his family and the stuff that came against him from his own family, he still had faith in God. Can you imagine being sent out into the sheep fields when your whole family saw that the prophet of God, the prophet, not a prophet in Israel, the prophet in Israel, came to seek you out, anointed you with oil, and said, you're the man God has picked to be king. And they all still dissed on him. They all still, ah, just get out there in the field and take care of the sheep. The attitude of the brother was still when uh, David came up to the to the battlefield was asking about Goliath. What are you doing up here? You should be home taking care of those few sheep. We saw that David left the sheep in the care of the of some people when he left. And when he approaches Saul, he says, I used to be a keeper of sheep. <laughs> of course, he was just that warning. But I used to be. Why? Because his hope was such that I see something out here and I will not be deterred. He had faith in God. He had faith in God when he faced his family. He had faith in God when he faced Goliath. But here in chapter 2, David is going to have an opportunity to change that faith. And it's the same opportunity that we have. We've been talking about gaps. That there is a gap from what God has promised us to when that thing is fulfilled. God has promised us healing. God has promised us victory. God has promised us blessings. God has promised us things in His Word. But sometimes there's a gap between what He has promised and what we are walking in. Not quite there yet. In the same way that Abraham was promised to be the father of many, yet there was a gap from the time the promise was made until it became a reality. There was a gap from the time that Israel was promised to be the, uh, uh, given the promised land until the time that they actually took the promised land. There are sometimes gaps, but we've got to bridge those gaps. But here we come on this one. It looks like the gap is closing. It looks like it is about ready to come about. It looks like I'm about ready to walk into the thing that I have. That's where we pick up in chapter 2. Saul is dead, has become to this chapter. He has died in battle. David knows about Saul being dead. And so he comes in verse 1 and says, It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? 
And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there and his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household, so they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Now the reason that's significant is David left where he was. He didn't come up to test out the waters to see what was going on. He pulled up roots from where he was over in the land of the Philistines and he moved everything over to Hebron because he said to the Lord, Shall I go up? And the Lord said, Go up. And then David says, What city shall I go up to? Now David is anointed to be king, right? Understand, not only is Jerusalem not the capital of Israel at this point in Israel's history, they don't even possess it. It is not an Israelite possession at this point in, in uh, David's life. Saul did not have a capital city. Think back. Where was, David's, where was Saul's capital? Where was his palace? He basically had a tent. He moved it from a few places. I had this note from the, uh, a place that gives out some Jewish history. Saul's kingdom was not very large. It probably included Mount Ephraim, Benjamin, and Gilead. He also exerted some influence in the northern mountains of Judah and beyond Jezreel Valley. Instead of having a capital city or palace, Saul set up his tent in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is at Migron, or in Gibeah, where he sat under the tamarisk tree in the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing there with him. 1 Samuel 14 and uh, verse 2. 1 Samuel 22 and verse 6. You'll see some of those things. So Saul moved around. He had tents and he didn't really have the, the city. So there was not a capital city to go to. But again, Saul does not necessarily have influence over all of Israel. All Israel looks to him as a king, but not necessarily their king. He is king of the Benjamites. He is king of a few other areas around there, but not necessarily all of them. And so sometimes he even has to convince them to all come on out to battle. Now David is anointed king over... He, when Samuel came to David, he anointed him king over where? All Israel. And David will really be the first king who unites all 12 tribes of Israel under one king. But when he comes up, he says, where should I go? And the Lord says to Hebron. Hebron is one of the cities of Judah, which is where he comes from. So he goes to Hebron. So if you're wondering why he doesn't go out to Jerusalem, it's in the hands of the enemy right now. David will conquer it. One of the first things he does as king is he gets all the people up and they conquer Jerusalem and they make that the capital city. So David went up there. Let's see, verse 4. Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabeth-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. David sent messengers to the men of Jabeth-Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown this kindness to to your Lord to Saul and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you also. I also will repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. Now therefore, let the hands of, let your hands be strengthened and be valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So he is now king over Judah. But in verse 8, But Abner the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth the son of Saul and brought him over to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. These are the main areas that submitted themselves to the house of Saul. 
but they still saw it as being over all Israel, even though some of the other tribes didn't necessarily go along with everything. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began. He reigned over Israel and he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. In the time that David was king in Hebron, over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Now Abner, the son of Ner, the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And we're going to see that a war starts out here. But if you are David, here's the first switch that you could, you could look at. David could easily have switched his hope and faith instead of in God. It wasn't God. He could have switched his faith at this point to put his faith in Israel. Because all Israel, all the armies that went out with with Saul loved David. They would sing songs about David. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. They knew about David. They knew how well he performed. And David could very well have switched his faith from God faith in God, faith in His Word, faith in what He said He would do, to Israel. Surely Israel will now make me king. And coming off to Hebron. And even though He says to God, God, where shall I go? And He says to Hebron. And they anoint Him over Judah. And He can become... I'm supposed to be king over Israel. I'm king over Judah. That's not right. There should be more than Judah. I'm supposed to be king over Israel. Well, maybe in a month we'll fix this up. But then pretty soon... Israel anoints Isbosheth king over Israel, and David is king over Judah. You could switch your faith, and if he had switched his faith to his faith in Israel, this could have thrown him. It's just the same thing we can do, because sometimes we, have, especially in we'll take, take sickness and disease. You're battling sickness and disease, and you have your faith in God, faith in God, faith in God, because there's no other faith you can have. The doctors told you there's nothing we can do. you got maybe two years and then you're going to die. Oh boy, I've got to have faith in God. Faith in God. Faith in God. Faith in God. And you get all the way up there. You're still alive. You're still going. A year into it. and still going on. And then all of a sudden the doctor comes to you and the doctor says, we've discovered a new treatment for what you have. And we'd like to put you through it. And uh, we're, we're thinking that we can wipe this whole thing out and you'll be good to go. And you're coming out of there praising, Oh, Father God, I thank you that they found a new treatment for me. Father God, I thank you that this is good. And you're going out, but your faith has switched from faith in God and His Word to faith in the new procedure. You don't notice it right away. But you switched faith into the new procedure. You go through the new procedure. I'm not telling you the procedures are bad. Or if you have them, you switch your faith. But you can switch your faith into it. Instead of looking at the promise of God, you're now looking at, All right, now my salvation is going to come through this procedure. I will be saved from sickness and disease through this particular pr- procedure. And then you go on through and you're, you're looking at the sickness and proce- the, the sickness being taken care of through this new procedure, through this new treatment. And after a month or two, they say, it's just not working for you. It's just not helping you. The, it, it, you're still going to die in a year. You see, if you made your switch from faith in God and His Word to faith in this principle, your faith would be dashed right now. I guess I'm going to die. Always keep your faith in God. If a new procedure comes along for some health thing, then you feel good in your spirit about going ahead and taking it, go ahead and take it. But do not switch your faith from being faith in God. Just keep waking up every morning. Father God, I thank you that your power, by your might, I am healed. Father God, I thank you that I rely on you and not on the doctors. 
Then the doctors come and give you a bad news, bad report. It's like, I didn't count on you anyway. I'm not counting on you. I'm counting on God. And as long as you don't make that switch, you're all right. David does not make the switch. But I'll tell you what, if it was you or me, couldn't we have made that switch? Couldn't we have said, surely Israel would be doing this. When Israel didn't do it, and then when Israel goes out and makes this other guy king, David could have been devastated. The man who faced battles with Saul, the man who got chased around Israel, the man who had to go out to Philistine, the man who did all these great things, killed a bear, killed a lion, killed Goliath, through faith in God, could have switched his faith and been conquered. But he didn't. He kept his faith in God. And he said, well, I'm going to be the best king of Judah that there is. And he was the best king of Judah that there could be. And he didn't look at all the things that were going on with that. Verse 12, Now Abner the son of Ner and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David, went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. So they sat down and on one, one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, Let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. So they arose and went over to the, went over by the number twelve. So they went. I'm sorry. So they arose and went over by number twelve from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, and son of Saul, and twelve from the servants of David. And each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called the Field of Sharp Swords, which is in Gibeon. Real creative names. But that's what it became known as. So there was a fierce battle that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Now the three sons of Zeruiah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. And Asahel was as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. And Asahel pursued Abner. And in going, he did not turn to the right or to the left from following Abner. And Abner looked behind him and said, Are you Asahel? He answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left and lay hold on one of the young men and take his armor for, your, for yourself. But Asahel would not, turn from, would not turn aside from following him. So Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? However, he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in his stomach with the blunt end of the spear so that the spear came out of his back and he fell down and died on the spot. So it was that as many as came to the place where Ashel fell down and died, stood still. So he was running. Basically, they're, they're running in battle. Abner is not running away from him because he fears him in battle, though he was a, a good warrior. He's running away because he doesn't want to kill him and then have to face his brother. And he just would not, uh, would not run. Now they said that Asahel is as fast as a wild gazelle. And he's chasing Abner. And they're having a conversation. What does that tell you? That Abner is pretty fast himself. <laughs> right? I mean, Abner's staying out ahead of him. And it seems that what he had done at this point was that he suddenly stopped, put his spear into the ground with the butt end back, and Asahel just ran into it with such force, and he pushed it backwards then, and just uh, thrust it right on through the guy. And that's how he died. But he didn't want to. He was trying to avoid it. You've got to wonder about this. You're, you start a battle, you start a fight, and there's certain people on the other side that you won't kill because you don't want to face their brothers. You know, why have the battle to begin with? 
but they did. So everybody who came out, they, they saw Asahel there, and all oh, they were all just devastated. This is one of their powerful men. This is one of their strong guys. And here he is. He's down. Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner. And the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Amam, which is before Gaia, by the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and became a unit. It was the children of Benjamin. Most of the army that is here with Abner is the children of Benjamin. And took their stand on top of a hill. And Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? How long will it be until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren? And Joab said, As God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then by morning all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. So Joab blew a trumpet, and all the people stood still and did not pursue Israel anymore, nor did they fight anymore. Then Abner and his men went on all that night through the plain, crossed over the Jordan, and went through all Bithron, and they came to Mahanaim. So Joab returned from pursuing Abner. When he had gathered all the people together, there were missing of David's servants, 19 men, and Asahel. Now, if the 19 men and counts the 12 people that were slaughtered at the beginning... That's not a whole lot of guys to lose in a fierce battle. Can you imagine seven guys? Even 19, even if it was 19, they didn't count the other 12. That's not a whole lot of people to lose in a battle, especially one that they're describing as fierce. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin and Abner's men, 360 men who died. Then they took up Asahel and buried him in his father's tomb, which is in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night and they came to Hebron at daybreak. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Now a lot of this is because of Ishbosheth. He's just He doesn't have great character. He has such poor character that he eventually loses the respect of Abner. And he does it through, uh, through a situation that will come up here. In verse 2, sons were born to David in Hebron. Well, let's skip on down to that. It's going down to verse verse 6. Now it was so, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. Abner was getting stronger in the house of Saul. Ishbosheth was getting weaker. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Ritzpah, the daughter of Ayah. So Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Then Abner became very angry at the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? Today I show you loyalty to the house of Saul your father to his brothers and to his friends and have now delivered you into the hand of David and you charge me today with a fault concerning this woman may God do so to Abner and more also if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn to him now these tell us all sorts of stuff about it about what's going on here Ishbosheth either dreams up this from seeing certain things going on in the house how many times have you seen things going on in your house and you have put things together in your mind. How many times have you seen things going on at work? You haven't talked to anybody, but you have put them together in your mind. And in your mind, you begin to say, all right, that one's talking with that one. And that one's talking with that one. And did you see how that one was? And then they stopped talking as soon as I came up. Hmm, I wonder what they were talking about. And then you begin to hear some things. You put, And pretty soon you put together an entire scenario that may or may not have even happened. But it's in your head, and it happened. You'll see this sometimes with husbands and wives. 
You see, sometimes with parents and children, we begin to hear things and we put stuff together in our mind and pretty soon it becomes factual. I know that happened. And if the person comes to me, I didn't do that. No, I know that happened. Don't tell me that. I know, I know you were... I know you're planning on getting rid of me and putting these other people in my position. We're not. Don't tell me that. I know it. <laughs> this is what Ishmael is doing. He comes to him and says, I know that you're over there messing around with that concubine. You're trying to take the kingdom, aren't you? Because you're, you're trying to work your hand in there. It says that he's getting stronger in the house of, of Saul. You're trying to work your hand in there and then if you get his concubine, you'll, you'll, you'll just get yourself to be king. I know what you're doing. But Abner is a person of very high character. Now here's the thing about this. As you see the battles that have gone on, you're going to see two commanders emerge. David has Joab and the house of Saul has Abner. Of the two people, Abner is the guy of the highest caliber. He is the guy with the most character. If you wanted to have a friend, a buddy, someone you could depend on, you'd want Abner. But if you want someone who can get the job done, if you want someone who is the greatest general probably available in that day, you won Joab. They faced each other in head-to-head -head battle, and who won? Joab. And uh, quite literally, Joab beat the pants off Abner. Joab is the better general. But he's not the better person. Abner is the better person. And David sees this. And David responds, but Abner sees this thing that's going on and he, he understands there's a low character in Ishbosheth. There's, there's not a, a leader there. He sees things and he draws conclusions. He doesn't talk to the people. He doesn't have conversations. You need to have conversations. With, you need to find out what's going on here. You need to ask for... He never came and asked me. He just came and accused me. And he saw that and he saw through all these years that Ishbosheth is not king material. And so this is what he says. In verse 9. May God do to Abner, and more also, if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn to him. Now here's a confusing thing that Abner should say. Abner, in by his own admission, knows that David has been anointed as king over Israel. But who has he, who has he helped? He's helped the house of Saul. Might be that he felt an alliance to Saul that he was supposed to do something in there, but it doesn't matter. Abner knew that God had anointed David to be king. And Abner helped someone else to be king. He was even instrumental in his anointing. Abner knew better than to do what he did. So he's a guy of high character, but here he let it down. He decided that I'm a person of high character. I have to stay loyal to the house of Saul more so than to stay loyal to what he knew God said to do. That is not a good thing to do. Verse 10. To transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. So Abner sets up this goal. I'm going to have David be king from the north to the south, from the east to the west. He's going to be king over the whole thing. I'm going to make sure that he has it all. And Ishbosheth could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. Ishbosheth is not a king. I mean, Saul was not the greatest of people, but Saul was not going to become afraid of you and uh, so that he can't speak. He uh, did fear some things about David, but he never got to a spot where he wouldn't talk to him. 
And Ab then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to David, saying, Whose is the land? Make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. Who's David's faith in? David's faith is in God. It's been in God. He had the opportunity to have faith in Israel, and he denied it. He, he stayed with God, having faith in God. Kept on walking, having faith in God. But now we have Abner. Since David has taken the throne, Abner has gotten stronger. Ishbosheth has gotten weaker. David has observed this. And now Abner says to David, let's make a covenant. Let's make an agreement. And I'm going to make sure that what the Lord said for you will come about. How many of you all know it's really easy to put your faith and your hope in Abner? And it's a really easy switch. Father God, you have made this promise to me. You said that you would do these things. Now I see how you're going to do it. You're going to use Abner and he is going to use his influence and he is going to bring me into a place of being king. Boy, would that not be an easy way to make a switch? And we, instead of hoping for the promise of God, begin to hope that Abner will accomplish what he said he would do. And verse 13, And David said, Good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require, you shall not see my face unless you br first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. How many wives does David have right now? Two. How many wives is that too many? <laughs> it's actually too, too many because he's still married to Michael. But that was a trick question. That wasn't fair. Y'all know he should only have one wife. Not two, not three. So he says, all right, I'm going to see you on one condition. Bring, the, bring my first wife on over. So David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, give, me, give my wife Michael, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband. Uh, that's not such a good thing. Now, this isn't until the New Testament. The New Testament says that once two people, if they divorce, if they get remarried, they should never get back together again. Of course, that was the New Testament. But uh, this still isn't a, a right thing. I'm not really sure why David wanted this because he wasn't too thrilled with her in the first place. Then her husband, well, actually, this time, he gets less thrilled with her later on. I'm confusing my stories here. Then her husband went along with her to Bahiram, weeping behind her. So Abner said to him, Go, return. And he returned. So he's coming. He's going behind, wailing and crying. He's losing his wife. And Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, In times past you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now then do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin, then Abner also went to speak in the hearing of David in Hebron. All that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner and twenty men with him came to David at Hebron. And David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will arise and go and gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away and he went in peace. So they had this great meeting. They come to an agreement. Abner says, this is what we're going to do. David says, agreed, this is what we're going to do. Let's get it done. Let's move this thing together. At that moment, the servants of David and Joab came from a raid and brought much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron. 
for he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the troops that were with him had come, they told Joab, saying, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he sent him away, and he has gone in peace. I'm not so sure that this is, this is absolute, but it sure would seem to me that David did this on purpose. That he sent Joab away to go take care of something so that Abner could come on in because he knew that Abner and Joab were not going to get along. And he actually wanted to, to do this behind Joab's back. Then Joab came to the king and said, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away? And he has already gone. Surely you realize that Abner, the son of Merah, came to deceive you, to know you're going out and you're coming in, and to know all that you are doing. And when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner who brought him back from the well of Sirah. But David did not know it. And when Abner had returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately and there stabbed him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. I'm not real sure why Abner did this. He saw Joab there. He feared Joab because he knew if I kill his brother, Joab's going to be a problem. And he goes off by himself with Joab. Afterward, when David heard it, he said, My kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord forever of the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the hand or the, the head of Joab and on all his father's house. And let there never fall, uh, let there never fail to be in the house of Joab one who has a discharge or is a leper or who leans on a staff or falls by the sword or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed their brother Abishel, I'm sorry, Asahel, in Gibeon in the battle. So Joab, and there's a whole, probably a whole lot of things going through Joab's head. If Joab... If you're Joab, you're a commander of David's army. And David has called a secret meeting and sent you out of town. And when you come back, you find out about this secret meeting between him and Abner. And Abner's the commander of the northern army. What are you thinking? There's only room for one of us here. One of us is not going to be head of the army. One of us is going out. And probably Joab, knowing David, knows that he probably would like Abner better but of course, Joab is, a, is better at the job. But he decides to eliminate the competition. Let's just wipe him out. So he goes over there and he kills him. If David had switched his faith to Abner, this is the way it's going to get done. This is the way it's going to happen. Abner is going to bring the kingdom to me. And before he even gets back, Abner is killed. If you are David, could you not say, oh, this is just not going to happen. It's just not going to get there. It'd just be like the, if you were in there and you had that procedure done and they came back and said, it's not going to work. And, oh, it's devastating. But then about six months later, they come back and say, wait, 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 we got a new procedure. We've got a new thing we can do. Let us try this on you. It's, it's, we've had, been having great success with it and there's something that this does that the other one didn't do and it affects things over here and that's what you need. And they build it up and they build it up and oh, you're all excited. Yes, this is it. And then all of a sudden that happens and it doesn't work. And they come back and come months later and say, no, that one didn't work either. How I many eventually you just want to say, you know what? It's just not going to happen. I've had this procedure and this procedure and this promise and this promise and this hope and this hope and it's just not going to happen. David does not switch his faith from God to Abner. He, just like he didn't switch it over to Israel. And he doesn't lose hope 
that it's still going to happen. Even though right now it looks like the ticket is gone. Ishbosheth is still there, but Abner is no longer. That was his ally. That was his way in. Abner was growing stronger. Ishbosheth grew was, was growing weaker. And as we said, David could easily have switched his hope and his faith to Abner's alliance. And then we see later on here that something else happened in chapter four. And this is where I'm just going to tell you the, the highlights of this one. Ishbosheth is murdered. That a couple of the commanders of the army, they hear that Abner dies, and I guess they were on board with making David king. Because Abner had already announced it. And so they got together, they made this plan, and they came into Ishbosheth. They found him on the bed, and they killed him dead. And then they cut off his head, and they carried his head, and they went all the way back to where David was, and they presented it to David and said, David, Abner wanted to make you king. We all wanted to make you king. Here is the head of Ishbosheth. You are the conquering king. And David said, Do you know how I reacted when people told me they killed Saul? said, I had those folks uh, punished and they were killed. How do you think I'm going to react to you telling me that Ishbosheth is, that you killed him? And he killed them as well for their murder. David could have very easily taken even this way and carried on into Israel. You wanted to serve this king? This king is conquered. You need to serve me now. But he didn't do that. He kept his faith in God. He didn't go these other ways. He said from the beginning... When God's ready, He will make me king. And God did. All of Israel got together and all of Israel came on down in chapter 5. Let's read that one. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron spoke saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. And in time past when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led us Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall, be sh- you shall shepherd my people Israel, be ruler over Israel. Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron And King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So you can do the math in there and figure out how old he was. But how easy it would have been for David to switch his faith over to Abner. To switch his faith over to the murder of Ishbosheth to switch his faith over to the fact that Israel wanted him to be king. But he didn't. He kept his faith in God. He kept staying in that direction. And this is where we have to maintain and where we have to go. Because what the devil wants to try and get us to do is to switch our faith. He wants us not only to switch our faith from things like this or or put into people, he wants to get us to switch our faith in other areas. Sometimes it's a wrong teaching. And we switched our faith from what God taught to what somebody else taught. Paul faced this with the folks in Galatia. And he says, I'm amazed at how quickly you switched to another gospel. And the word he used there was another gospel of a completely different kind. We're not saying that there's a different kind of apples. We're saying that that's not even the same fruit. You, you changed to a whole different doctrine. Went a whole different way. You let people switch this. That God has put certain things in our life. God has put certain foundations, certain pillars, certain beliefs. And all of a sudden, someone can come on over and switch that. Replace it. Put something else in there. Get us to go in a different direction. I used to believe that the Word of God was inspired. I used to believe that all the Word of God was right. But then, you know, I had a teacher and 
they taught me some things and I found out that not all the Word of God is the Word of God. Some of the Word of God, you know, it's, well, it's wrong. Some of the Word of God has errors in it. and Well, I, so I have to be careful about what parts of the Word of God I believe. What did, you, what did they do? They switched your faith. They switched it. Don't ever do that. Don't let anybody ever, if anyone ever wants to teach you that all of the Word of God is not right, run. <laughs> do whatever you can to get out. I had professors in college who didn't believe that all of the Word of God was inspired. My college I went to gave me books that did not believe that all of the Word of God was inspired. I threw those books out as soon as I was done with the class. But boy, was my guard up the whole time. You will not take this from all of the Word of God is inspired. All of the Word of God is for me. And I stayed on my guard. I would not let that down. I'm not going to have that switched over. Don't have it be switched over. We believed from the Word of God that Jesus wants us healed. But some people are going to come along and try and switch that on you and tell you, well, He doesn't always want people healed. Sometimes He teaches people a lesson. Sometimes, you know, He has a purpose in us being sick. Yeah, find somebody in the Word of God that Jesus went and He went around doing the will of the Father. You find me someone in the Word of God that Jesus said, hold on, come here for a minute. Leprosy. There you go. Go fulfill the Word of God. Wait a minute, you over here. Hold on. Blindness. Can you see anything? No. Good. All right. Go and fulfill the Word of God. Does He ever do that? Does He ever make people blind? Does He ever make people dumb? Does He ever put demons in people? Does He ever go up to the demon? Come out here. Go over here to this one. He's learned enough. He needs to learn something over here. Come on over here to this one. Teach this guy. No, He doesn't do that. When He cast the devils out, they went out. He wasn't going to let them get into the other people. When He cast sickness out, that sickness left. He didn't make anybody sick. But people will come in and they'll substitute it and there are people out there who buy it. Yeah, I guess I'm sick. I don't know why I'm sick. I'm sure God has some reason for me to be sick. I just hope I learn it. I don't know why it is that my finances are the way they are. I don't know why my job situation is the way that it is. I guess God has some reason for it. Well, if you don't know that the will of God is, then you're not going to fight against it. You're going to just accept it. Now, stand up against that stuff. God wants you well. God wants you healthy. God wants you whole. God wants you working. God wants you to enjoy life. Make sure that you do. Don't buy into the lies. Don't be like an Ishbosheth who begins to see things. Don't do that either. Fight against it. There are going to be people out there. We tell you all the time, the news media is always trying to sow wrong seeds on the inside of you. Always trying to sow wrong seeds. For the, for the longest time, they tried to sow for years. They sowed into us that we were in a recession. And unemployment was down in 5%. 5% unemployment, I don't know if you know about that, is considered zero unemployment. It's just people changing jobs. Pretty much anybody who wanted a job could find a job. And when we were at 5% unemployment, they were telling us how terrible it was. And now we're at almost 10% unemployment. And if you really count the real total of the people who aren't even being counted anymore because the government changed the way they counted it, it's actually around 17% unemployment. Then they're trying to tell you things are better. <laughs> oh, man. Why? Because they're trying to sow the seeds. They want to sow the seeds to get what they, what they want. Don't buy into them. Find out what the facts are. Find out what the Word of God says. And stand on that and believe that. We told you before, even if unemployment is 
You know that means that how many people percentage of people are working? 83% of the people are working. So why is it you have faith to be among the 17%? <laughs> why do you have faith to believe and be among the 17%? Why not have faith to be believe about the 83%? I think it's easier to be have faith to believe among the 83% than among the 17. Isn't it? Have faith to believe that. Why are we always hoping for the wrong thing? You know, you can go and get a report from a doctor. 50% of the people who get this die. 40% of the people who get this don't make it. 30% of the whatever percentage they throw out. Why do we believe to be in the wrong percent? Well, I'm sure I'll be on that side. Even if it's 50-50, are we not? I'm probably going to die. It's just easier for us to go to the negative side. Don't go to the negative side. Hold on to what God has promised. And just know people are going to come and sow wrong things in you. You've got to stand up against it. If you don't stand up against the wrong things that are sowed in you, they will come to fruit. They will bloom. And they will bring forth the fruit that you may not want. Isbosheth began to see things around in his office, around in the area where they're at. Began to put things together and decided that Abner had done something that Abner didn't do. And Abner was mad. And that broke the, the final thing. Sometimes we've done that. we put things together in our head and when we speak it out of our mouth, we've just caused the problem. Be careful. Don't be doing that. Don't switch your hope. Don't switch your faith. Your faith is what is in what God said. What did God say? Either God said something to you in His Word or God said something to you Directly. However it is that God said it to you, hold on to what God said. If God hasn't said anything to you yet, get into His Word, get into prayer, hear from God. Find out what God says. Whatever God says, hang on to it. Don't let it go. We, we're just too quick to let things go that God says. David didn't. David was told all these years, you're going to be king over Israel. Because he's wandering around, being chased by the king of Israel at the time. He doesn't give in. He has to leave Israel and go over to the Philistines and join up with the enemy. I'm sure that the thought would come to him. Well, now you can never be king. You're over here with the Philistines. You've joined up with them. But he doesn't buy into it. He keeps having that faith. Nope, nope. I'm called to be king. And as soon as the Saul was dead, he goes to God. He says, what shall I do? Shall I go up? And God says, go up. He doesn't just assume to go up. He says, shall I go up? And God says, go up. And then he says, to what city? Because there's no capital. What city shall I go up to? God says, go to Hebron. When he's there, they make him king over Judah. And he doesn't get discouraged then. But nobody, I'm sure people came up to him and said, I thought you were called to be king over Israel. You're just king over Judah. Did, did God make a mistake? Did something go wrong with that? But David held on. David kept going. He had an opportunity to switch his faith over to Abner. When Abner says, you know what? I'm going to make you king over Israel. But David knew, no, God said he's going to make me king over Israel. Who is it who promised to make you healthy? Who is it who promised to make you whole? Who is it who promised to get you a job, give you a better job, give you a pay raise? Who is it who promised to take care of your finances? Who is it who promised to give you wisdom when you needed wisdom? Who is it who promised to give you joy where there's not? Who is it who promised to give you purpose when there's no purpose? Who is it promised to give you help when you needed help? Keep your faith in God. Don't switch it to people. Don't switch it 
to jobs. The Lord is your provider, not your job. Don't let that switch. Once you get that job, you've been praising God. Oh, Father God, I thank you for meeting my needs this week. Father God, we thank you for the help that you give me. Then all of a sudden you get the job and now the job becomes your source. No, you always look to God. Always look to God. Father God, I thank you that you are my source. I thank you that you are my supply. Thank you that there is work out there for me that you have provided work for me to do because you want me to have a job. You want me to have work. And just relax in that. Just know God is on your side. Have faith to be in the percentage that you desire to be. Not always feeling like you're going to fall apart. You're not going to fall apart. But don't let people sow things, the wrong things into you. Like Ishbosheth did. And begin to spout off things to people that might be abners in your life. Don't do it. Stand up against it. There is a hope that God has called us to. There is also a hope that we have for some things that we need. How many have things you're hoping for right now? Stuff that you need. Physical, job, emotional, whatever it might be. you got stuff and you got, I have that hope. I'm not waiting for this for heaven. This is not a heaven hope. We already talked about that one before. There are some things that are hope for the distant future and some things that are hope for the now future. The future that's coming up upon us. We want to have those things come about. I don't, want, I don't necessarily want to be like Abraham, wait 24 years for a baby. How many of all know you need a job now, not 24 years from now? There's reasons why he had to wait for that. We went over that before. But don't hold it up. Don't let go of your faith. Hebrews, once again, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. What is the hope that you have? You need to become so sure about that hope that when someone comes to you and says anything about it, you don't laugh at that hope ever coming about like Abraham did with the baby, like Sarah did. When the Lord came and appeared and said, all right, in one year you're going to have a baby. In nine months you're going to have a baby. And on each of those two occasions, one of them laughed. Don't laugh. Don't ever let it come out of your mouth and somebody saying, hey, how's that thing going with that that uh, disease, that uh, battle, that health battle you've been having. Oh, it just, I just, I'm probably going to have it the rest of my life. Don't let stuff like that come out of your mouth. That's, not, that's having a confession contrary to your hope. Hold fast the confession of your hope. What's the confession of your hope? I am healed. That healing is mine. I have a job. Somebody comes up to you and says, Well, I don't know if I ever get a job. There's so many jobs out there. But it seems like there are so many more people applying. And who am I? <laughs> Anybody ever said that? <laughs> I know. Boy, that can sure come to us sometimes. And don't think it's unique to you. It's the same devil. It's the same thoughts he puts out there. Don't, don't sit there and say, Oh, I'm nobody. Oh, it won't happen for me. Yes, it will. It will happen for you. You will be blessed. It will be good. But believe it. You're going to have the God kind of hope. You've got to have faith in it. If you don't have faith in it, you're not convinced on it. Get back into His Word and become convinced that God wants you to have a job. That God wants you to have a better job. That God wants you to be healed. That God wants you to have good relationships. That God wants you to be joyful. That God wants you to have purpose. Whatever it might be, believe that God has that for you. Get into His Word. 
let His Word minister to you. Build up that faith. Same way you got into His Word and you believed that He wanted you saved. He wanted you set free. He wanted you in, his, in heaven. Same way you got convinced on that, you got to get convinced on these other things. And they will come. They will come. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank You so much. It is a glorious day to be alive and to be a Christian. It is a day that, face, that, that we face many things that come against us. Oh, but we are victorious in You. Help us, Father, to first off have that hope that comes from Your Word that we know what You said. We know what You promised. And we know what belongs to us. Secondly, help us to always hold fast that confession of that hope. To not let it go. Oh, it's so easy just to let other things begin to slip in. To believe the negative side instead of your side. But we need to stand true. Stand tall. Stand strong. Glory be to your name, Father. Father, as we go out this week, renew us on the hope that you have given us. The hope in the area of health and healing. The hope in the area of finances and jobs. The hope in the area of relationships. The hope in the area of joy over depression. The joy in believing good things are coming to us. Father, we thank You for the help that You give us. We will not let go of our confession. We will hold fast to our confession without wavering. For we know that He who promised is faithful. Glory be to Your name. Father, we thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen.